Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The following panel is brought to you by the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Enjoy. Once again, my name uh, is Dan Nuttall. I'm the artistic director for Rooftop Films. I am not from Seattle. I am from New York City. Uh, but we worked with Visit Seattle and Sundance TV last year on a series of events in New York City. So uh, I've been uh, catching up on uh, all my uh, Seattle cinema and many other things as well. So we're really excited to be here uh, with all you guys. Thank you for coming. I'd like to bring up the filmmakers to come on up on stage. We have Megan Griff- Griffiths, Josh Stav, John Ramsey, and JJ Agastava. And we also have a special guest. Dave Grohl is with us virtually. Quick thing. I don't want to take your thunder. Uh, He's in Australia, and our connection is really bad. Dave, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Totally. (laughs) Woo! So we're going to start with you. Everybody's watched your film. And John Ramsey's here. And here are all the filmmakers. (laughs) We tried to get it on the big screen. Anyway, so Dan, who's our moderator, was going to ask you a quick question. Uh, what are you doing down in Australia, Dan? Um, we're totally rocking the stadiums from coast to coast. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us um, for a little Q&A here. Uh, first question for you is, um, you know, over the last uh, over the last several years, and you've spent a lot of time working on a couple of different projects uh, going through musical history at various locations, of course, with Town City um, and uh, uh, then Sonic Highways and now this project. Um, why, why this interest um, is in these recent days in uh, preserving some of this musical history that you've experienced or has influenced you? You know, I think there's something about um, the regional aspect and environment in music that um, that makes <clears throat> that makes for different uh, styles, different communities. Growing up in, outside of Washington D.C., the Washington D.C. music scene um, was a small community of brilliant, supportive um, people that were connected just in the love of music. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that um, that uh, we all relied on each other and influenced each other and collaborated with each other. And to me, there was something about that human um, connection and interaction that was really interesting because in today's world, when everybody feels so interconnected, um, there 
there's some there's a, a strange detachment um, when you're collaborating with people that you've never met or you've never seen or are on the other side of the planet. To me, there was something really special about the little community that were totally um, inspired by their environment. So when I did uh, when I did the Sonic Highways project, it was basically just to examine how those environments influenced the music. And they were usually small, uh, small towns that had an isolated music community that had to rely on itself. And in that, um, you would sort of shut off from outside influence and just do your thing. And that led to a lot of incredible music that was really pure and organic and natural that just came from the people. So Seattle was one of the places. It was a city that nobody ever imagined would be a music community or like a music capital. And because of that isolation, it really became something different. And um, so there's something about there's something about that that I think is important for the next generation of musicians to understand is that it's the it's the interaction in a community where people get together and make music face to face uh, in front of each other that inspires more music. So that that's what I really love about. It. And even being you know right now I'm in Byron Bay, Australia. There's a crazy music scene in this little town that's like a fucking jungle on the ocean. <laughs> so everywhere, everywhere you go, there's a weird little music scene, and I think it's important that people sort of like shut off all of the technology and go down to the bar at the end of the block and watch your friends play in a band or watch um, musicians that you know get up on stage and do it because it ins it inspires you even more, you know. That makes a lot of sense. I, I'm interested in uh, like going a little further about what you were saying about different, like the way that uh, people's um, react interactions with a broader world might make them a little bit less attached to their community. Seattle is, of course, a city that's changed a lot in the last 20, 25 years or so. How do you feel that has changed the music scene there, or do you think it, it has made a difference? Well, God, I haven't spent a lot of time there in so long, but I remember when I first moved there, um, it was it was right before it was maybe right around the time that somebody uh, voted Seattle to be the most livable city in America. And I remember when I got picked up at the airport by Chris and Kurt, there was a little bit of traffic and nothing compared to Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles or any major city. And I remember they were really shocked. They're like, God, look at this traffic. It was going like 45 miles per hour. But they were like, oh, my God, where did all these people come from? <laughs> and uh, so, but back then, um, there really was this, this community that, you know, you'd go to a bar and you would have a couple drinks with some guys from Mud Honey, and then there's a Soundgarden guy there, and then there's an Alice in Chains guy there. And um, <clears throat> and then within a year or two, it had just exploded into like a fucking swarm A&R guys just looking for any band to sign. <laughs> um, so the dynamic really changed, but in a weird way, I feel like everything, especially in music, everything is really cyclical, and it's only a matter of time before something like blows up like fireworks and then dissipates and goes away and you lose the shine for a little bit and then eventually it comes back and so um 
I really think that as long as there are venues that support live music, especially all ages music, which is really important, um, as people that are inspired by each other, that, um, that it'll always be there, you know? It's not gonna, you know, we're, we're not gonna overtake Lil Pump on the charts, but you know, like, it's always gonna be there somewhere. And um, I have an 11 year old daughter that's in a band now with a bunch of 11 year olds. She's inspired by, she watches YouTube. Like we were sitting in the car the other day and Life on Mars by David Bowie comes on and she starts singing every fucking word to this song. <laughs> and she doesn't have, and so she's kind of doing what um, old farts like me hope she does. She uses that technology to discover music, but then she takes it outside of that and starts a band and plays to a bunch of 11 year olds, which I think is really yeah, it's truly amazing. I feel like, the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a kid of the 90s indie rock uh, music scene, so I remember that era well. But I, also, it's amazing when I'm like out in a bar in, in, in Brooklyn, oftentimes there'll be a 21-year-old bartender there who seems to know more about, like, know more Mud Honey B-sides than I do. And I'm just like, how could you possibly know this? And it's, the answer is just the internet. It's always just the internet. Yeah, the advantage of all of that availability is pretty amazing because you know, rather than just go like fingering through the record store and trying to find things because the cover looks cool, they actually have uh, the option to, you know, discover a lot more inspiration. Speaking of that music history, um, uh, uh, could you talk, this movie obviously covers um, uh, the Nirvana's relationship with Seattle and how you ended up there. Um, what, how did the Foo Fighters, where were, where were you when you were starting the Foo Fighters and did, how did that relate to uh, Seattle? So the food fighters, Nirvana ended in 1994 in April, and um, and after that, everybody was so shocked and everything was so turned upside down that music was like the last thing anybody really wanted to think about. And I had a hard time even just listening to the radio for a while, and um, I just put music away, and I thought maybe I play again but I wasn't sure and then eventually I kind of realized that the one thing that was going to help me or heal me was music and um, I'd always recorded things on my own back when I lived in Virginia um, I would record these demos in my friend's house and play all the instruments and I thought it sucked and so I never played it for anybody and and um, and then I kind of realized the only thing that was going to really heal me was to keep playing music. So I went and recorded. Um, there was a studio down the street from my house that was so close. I could drive my go-kart to the studio. It was like five away. And so I went down to a studio and I recorded 12 or 13 songs by myself. Um, I booked for like four or five days in there, five days. And um, just did it for fun. And... Uh, and thankfully, because, you know, it, at the time, it really saved my life. And, you know, the foundation of the band was never, um, it wasn't, it didn't start with something like, um, 
it, we started as hobbyists, you know, it, and I think there's a big difference between a hobbyist and a careerist. It's usually those things that you do just because you feel the need to do them uh, within yourself. Those are the things that usually kind of shine brightest. And so we've, you know, I, I gave everybody a tape and I said, hey, do you guys want to pretend to be a band for a while? And we're still here. <laughs> Hi, Dave. I have one question. Hi. Uh, Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, filmmaking. So we're here at Sundance. We're here with a stage full of fabulous filmmakers, including John Lindsay. Um, you've now directed a few. Do you have more stuff coming up? Well, you can ask Ramsey about that. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's another thing that I got really lucky and just stumbled into yeah. was um, was this filmmaking thing. And, you know, I'd made music videos for the band and that was always really fun. But it's kind of like making Three Stooges movies, you know, it's not we're not out to to make these huge hit films and so um but then when the idea for sound city came around i was introduced to john ramsey through a friend and um and you know i've been really lucky that he and i have been able to really great things together with our rota that it's all based on like friends have like-minded ideas that um, are really passionate about the projects that we take on. And so we've had a lot of opportunities and offers to do things. And some of them you look at and you think, oh, we know that. And then there's others that you look at where you're like, oh my God, I have to do that. And those are you ones to take on. So I've got a really kick-ass day job that keeps me busy. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, Ramsey and I talk all the time about potential projects, and and we do have a lot of really exciting stuff that we're going to get to eventually. Um, because to me, it doesn't seem like work. You know, it really seems like um, friends on a mission to do something that's going to make us all feel like completed in some way. And you like plant your flag, and then you move on to the next one. It's great. Totally. Thank you. We're going to let you go because you're in Australia, but everyone, I think, loved your film. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you, Rams. See ya. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we want to talk a little bit about all the other films. Maybe we should start, John, um, with you since, uh, like, proceeding off of that. Um, how did you first get involved with working with, with it? Uh, through a mutual friend. Um, my producing partner, Jim Rhoda, he's in a band and producer of one of his records, also produced Foo Fighters record, introduced him to Dave many years ago. So, when Dave had the idea to do the Sound City film, you know, just through casual conversations like, oh, my friend has a production company. And I, I mean, Dave is such an easy person to collaborate with and such a great time. I actually met him on set the first day of shooting. I mean, like he hired me sight unseen. He was like, oh, Jim's my friend. If he vouches for you, it's going to be great. <laughs> That's and, a good friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's just such a great storyteller, as you can tell. And he just... So he always has great projects and great ideas, and it's easy for everybody to get excited and jump on board. 
So, uh, so Sound City, of course, uh, if, if you guys aren't familiar with it, it's about a really amazing recording studio with great history um, in California. But then after that, um, you started working with Dave on the Sonic Highways um, project, which includes a Seattle segment then. Yeah, the Sound City uh, documentary premiered here at Sundance mm -hmm. five years ago. And then a year later, he said, all right, the 20th anniversary for the Foo Fighters is coming up. I'm going to do this big epic project where we record eight songs in eight different places <coughs> and we document the making of the song and learn about the local music scene in that place. So we chose eight cities and dragged the band and everybody all across the country back and forth a few times. Yeah, it was a really great project. Was that the first time that you got to spend some time in, like a lot of time in Seattle? Or We went to Seattle for the Sound City movie to shoot some B-roll because that was a big part of the setup for that story. So we had spent some time with Dave there and then we spent two weeks there for the Sonic Highways project. So it's really been interesting Never been from, you know, I'm not from Seattle, so to go there. All the rest of them are. He's <laughs> yeah, the only, he's the only I'm one. the only poser here. <laughs> so to go there with him, it's like, you know, going to Seattle. You know, it's like going to Rome with the Pope. Right. Know, it's <laughs> a whole different experience. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been an amazing way to get to know that city. And working on all that, what, like, how did that change your perception? What, what were some of the things that you really took away personally from your experience, like, in um, Seattle? I think Dave really touched on it there. You know, it's it's such a community, and all those artists know each other and support each other. Even just getting to know these other filmmakers here this week, they all know each other, have mutual friends. They're all super supportive of each other. It's a really, it's a special thing. Yeah, great. I should add, uh, we'll go around and talk to each of the filmmakers, but you guys know Seattle better than I do. So um, <laughs> feel free to chime in with other questions or comments on, on each other's films as well. Um, so JJ, tell us a little bit, first uh, to introduce JJ a little bit. If you're not familiar with him, um, he's made a, a number of uh, uh, really great short films and probably best known for his music videos, including a little one called Thrift Shop that I hear was popular on the internet. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, JJ, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this project. And why did you want to make a love letter to Seattle? Uh, I think, I mean, Catherine can kind of speak to this. I don't know where she was. <laughs> she told me that Dave Grohl suggested me for it. It's just kind of funny. Um, I guess he uh, likes thrift shop, and honestly, it's like that's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yes. You know, for better or worse, uh, he apparently liked it, told her, maybe the guy who did that. And I was like, that's me. Uh, so then she called me up and I said, of course, I've been over the years since I really took filmmaking seriously, trying to figure out what's a, what's a story I could tell. You know, like, I think I have like, you can tell I made something that has like a weird, like love-hate relationship with where I'm from. Uh, so I never wanted to make anything about where I was from or anything like relatively personal. I've just never always stayed away from that. And I don't know, I just, this project came along and I had been working on something with a friend about Seattle and about what it is and what it is to grow up there and, it's such an amalgamation of different ethnicities, people, and neighborhoods, and classes. Like, it's hard to pin down what it is to be from there. Like, yep. we could all have very different experiences. And my experience is like, I'm like a middle class kid who would swing between like being with super rich kids who lived on like Washington, but then kicking it with kids in the hood who were like gangbangers. It's like, this was my weekend. 
So it's like, what is the story I could tell? And when this project came along, I was like, I can borrow bits and pieces of that story and hopefully shed a light on part of where I'm from that I don't think a lot of people know about. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a project I jumped on because I was like, how can I utilize all my friends and all my, fr my crew friends? And how can I tell something that I care about from? Because I've had a hard time figuring out what that was. So yeah. this was the closest as far as what I think I could do is how do I talk about where I'm from? And yeah. so that's what was cool about this. And hopefully it shed a light on a, at least a little bit of the South End and like the Central District and maybe what the, a little bit of like, just a little bit of like the people of color in the city. So yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Could you give us a little backstory? First of all, how many people here are from Seattle? Are, are, are... Uh, not a few of them. All right. So, so you know, for, for those of us who aren't from Seattle, could you talk a little bit about the different neighborhoods that you touch on in the film and, and, and the yeah. significance of those? Um, like, like I think Dave has, he says in a funny way, it's like it's a city with a little town vibe, and especially growing up there, it felt like a little town, but it was much bigger than that. Now it feels a little bit like a big city. It's definitely growing. Um, so, the one part of the city I think that's slowly hold, like has a little bit still a bit more of its identity is the south end you know the central district south end so those are the areas i touched on where it's a little bit more filipino ethiopian black uh latinos live in white center so then it's not latino <laughs> but it's mostly that you know and then obviously it's like white too so that's the neighborhood you know because more or less the rest of the city it's, it's seattle's it's northwest it's just a little less diverse so it's just i that i wanted to at least shed a light on that part of the city that i don't think as far as contemporary media has shown. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe like hip hop videos I did, maybe showed a little bit, but those don't, you know, like people don't see those. <laughs> when I do like a gangster rap video back in the day, it's like nobody sees that. So it's the same people I work with on like thrift shop are the same people I'm working with on this. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely like the like Central District, Beacon Hill, Skyway, Rainier, those types of neighborhoods. You know, if you're visiting, you probably wouldn't check out, but I think you should check it out. Like Columbia City is like, crazy now it's like doesn't I don't recognize it in a good way it's really nice mm -hmm. but it's like I didn't 10 years ago you wouldn't go there you know what I mean it's like it was a different spot even like when we were shooting with the guys talking about chicken like that's an area you probably wouldn't go when I was younger unless you knew somebody but now it's like you can hang out there you know so it's cool to show that and say yeah go over there check out these sales it's like obviously the best chicken in the city so go there and just feel comfortable to go there, you know? Like Garfield's like where Jimi Hendrix go. So like, go check it out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, wondering also, uh, I love the style of dialogue and, and, and uh, the uh, sort of picaresque storytelling that, uh, style that you use here. Um, were there any particular movies that you look to as reference points or something that you were emulating to some degree or inspired by? Yeah, I think, like any of us could say, you can't help but be influenced by anything you love. It's like, I love Good Hunting. Mm -hmm. Can't help it. it's a young man's tale that I very much uh, understand. Uh, but uh, I can never say it because I'm not French. This is La Haine. Mm -hmm. It's Vincent Cassell's in it. You know, it's a gun. So I love that. Film. Fantastic moment. And then like a lot of, of course, hip hop. Like I grew up, I was like very hip hop. I do hip hop videos. It's like a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can tell. I mean, obviously, it's like I highlight a lot of the music of friends of mine. Like, mm -hmm. I just think that would be cool. It's like a resource I have. So why wouldn't I show it? It's like Dave Grohl has a film. That is what Seattle's known for, grunge, yeah. But there is a very beautiful independent hip hop scene that's not also just Macklemore. Sure. There's a lot of my friends who are still doing their thing, make really good music and have a good voice. And you know, like it or not, I love, I love all the stuff I did with that guy, but there's a lot of people who make good stuff too. So I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. So I don't know, like with those films, they were all, they all have a, 
their own specific voice and like Lahane is like very hip hop driven so mm -hmm. I couldn't help like I grew up being into that right. so it's like always going to inform my decisions and then of course how I grew up you know and what, what's up next for you? What do you have uh, coming down the pipe? Uh, I sound like that guy, but you know, like, I'm working on a feature. That's about it. <laughs> it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty cool, I guess, to like... Is it, it set in Seattle? No, someone else wrote it. I mean, it would be cool to make a bigger version of this, of course, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm a first time filmmaker. It's really hard to get your own thing made. But uh, yeah, it's a really good film. I mean, I, I don't like to talk about too much. Sure. It's a very good film. There's very good people involved. You would cry your eyes out on it, <laughs> which doesn't make a good film, but it's very good. Well, we look forward to uh, seeing it when it's ready. I uh, appreciate it, man. So moving on over to, to Josh. Josh has uh, Taft has directed some of the most iconic music videos of all time. Some of the most mean. Oops, sorry. Some of the most meaningful music videos. I, like, I feel like your music videos were like the the, the visual vocabulary of my high school years. Um, doing great videos with Nas and a lot of great hip hop stars um, uh, from the New York scene, actually mostly Nas and a Tribe Called Quest and various others, Cypress Hill. But then also, of course, um, iconic videos with uh, Stone Temple Pilots and uh, many other uh, Seattle rock bands. So um, really excited to have you here. Could you tell us a little bit more, first, uh, with your short, which is this stunning one with all the water in slow motion. Um, like, with your film, uh, first of all, uh, where could you tell us a little bit more about the, um, the passage that's being spoken aloud and, and why you chose to use that? Sure, sure. Uh, the passage is an Alan Watts poem, or sort of a hybrid of uh, a few of his poems strung together. And, that sort of came about as the last element of the film because I was looking for, for a voice that was gonna explain what was, what was going on in my head and what I thought the film could be visually. And so I did a lot of searching and I knew about Alan Watts, but I didn't, I didn't, didn't register right away. So, I, so once I dug deeper into the Alan Watts kind of world of you know, be in the present moment and look around you and see what's there and don't, don't just walk through moments and forget about all the things you could learn from them. I thought, you know, that's what I, that's what I need on top of my film. And so after I was locked into Alan Watts, a lot of other things started to make sense and I had a lot more um, clarity that, that I could rely on his voice to make it make some sense. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I went ahead boldly and tried to sort of just elaborate on what it feels like emotionally to be in the city we grew up in. And I really wanted to not try to give anyone any ways of thinking or ways of seeing it, or even really my personal way of looking at it, but, but just see if I could arrest your eye for a minute, calm you down for a second, and, and um, give you something interesting to look at that might produce contemplative kinds of um, thought processes that I found myself and constantly find myself in, in Seattle in strange moments where, it is, where you wouldn't think something ironic or beautiful or um, wondrous would come to your mind, but it happens when you're, when you're forced to sort of not uh, rely on the external flashiness of your reality, but to sort of just let the dark, cloudy sky bounce against your soul and kind of feel feel something real and then learn something and move on from it. So I was really just trying to get into um, emotionally giving people a chance to 
calm down and take a rest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's truly gorgeous and stunning. And where, did, where were you shooting uh, the various pieces? Yeah, yeah so I, I had a bit of a problem with, <laughs> with that because December was the most sunny month probably in Seattle history, <laughs> if you can all, if you were there, you know. Um, and so, and I was really not counting on that. Uh, I was counting on my old... Uh, my old Seattle to deliver. I've lived there for 45 years, so I, I know I know the weather pretty well. And I have a have a, a a strong sense of when it's going to go one way or the other, and I did not see that coming. So anyway, there I was forced to try to make it look rainy and dark, and so I pretty much had to slant the film toward you know dusk, dawn, and night, whereas I didn't plan to do that and. You know, I really had to wait to the last glimpse of sun. And, and so I had luckily approached the film with a lot of patience from the beginning because I knew if I was going to deliver this sort of state of mind in a visual format, I had to go shoot in the right moments. It wasn't going to be a three-day shoot back to back and just jam it out. It had to be a two-week shoot where I waited and watched the clouds. And, and I was able to do that because of this amazing project. And you know, people just sort of believed that something good was going to come out the back end. And so I did. I just waited you know, with a phantom camera in my hand at $5,000 a day, <laughs> burning a hole in my, yeah. in my hands. Uh, but uh, I, um, you know, I did wait, and I did get some moments that were, were true to that vision from the beginning of, you know, this is what it feels like to be here. And, and so that, I'm really proud of that part of it. Mm -hmm. Curious, uh, 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 as someone who's lived in Seattle for all these years and, and been working there for a long time, do you feel like there are other uh, films or, or videos or various other visual representations of Seattle that you think really get it right? Well, I have to say, just in the process of this project, you know, getting to meet JJ and just sort of seeing a guy that kind of is a reincarnation of what some of what I was 20 years ago. Like, I, but I was alone. You know, I, there was no other. There was nobody else. When I came up in early 90s doing those videos, there wasn't like the other guy in Seattle doing them. Right. It was either me or it was guys who were 50, you know, working on Twin Peaks or something. Mm -hmm. So I was truly alone in, in the format that I existed in. And um, so when I saw JJ and I got to meet him and I just was so, I've been so excited about just seeing someone who's maybe come out of, up out of the roots of that, you know, idea that you could be a filmmaker in Seattle and actually extend your arm to the outside world and your, your pictures could be seen by more than just people within blocks of you, you know, and that's been really powerful um, experience. But I have to say, when I came up, there, wa there was Cameron Crowe, who was the one who was an amazing mentor of mine at the beginning of my, my time, and he sort of just shoved me in front of the line of, of the music video kind of possibilities, and, and uh, I just did the best what I could with that opportunity. And so Cameron would be definitely the, the one I would mention, but beyond that, it was sort of like making it up on my own. <laughs> right. You know, and I had to become the editor and the DP and the, own the company and buy the Avid and, you know, do all those things myself. With, and my, I was lucky to have a great family and support uh, from them. And my wife, Cindy, was my production designer. And we lived in a 
$119,000 house on Capitol Hill, and we did it all in our basement. So that was that was a that was 91. Yeah. So um, it was a, you know it's great to see that that's not still the way it is. <laughs> right. People can really get out there and be part of something like this, and people like Megan who actually make real films, and you know that that get out beyond um, you know that this city right away, and that's super exciting because that didn't happen when I was younger either. So. And what do you have coming up next, or do you have any other projects? I uh, have an Andy Irons doc, feature-length documentary about Andy Irons, this pro surfer that, that should be coming to you soon in some format. <laughs> Sorry it's not here this year, but we tried. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a fantastic, I think, um, portrayal of a complicated, you know, super athlete that, that had an incredibly soft side. He was bipolar and dyslexic and had huge problems with addiction, um, but he was also the best surfer in the world for 10 years, battling those types of things. So we, we made a film, it took two and a half years to complete about Andy's life, and he died in 2010. So um, hopefully people will get out and see the story of Andy Irons. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so finally, we have uh, Megan Griffiths. Who's, Megan is definitely one of the filmmakers. When I think of feature, any features coming out of the Seattle scene, uh, Megan certainly um, right there at the top of the list of the people who first jump into my mind. She's uh, made some really wonderful films, including Eden, The Off Hours, um, and Mo Lucky Them. Um, and so you, you've you've made a number of features. Um, when you were, what was it when you were working here in the short form again? What was it that made you think of working here in this particular story? Um, well, I haven't made a short for like like ten years, um, and so it was it was kind of fun to get the opportunity to do it. Like yeah. actually, the last two that I made I made right before the off hours, they were both sort of also similarly like a prompt from someone like mm -hmm. do you want to make this thing that's going to screen at this time and you have this like kind of short window to get it made and I love like you know just kind of getting out there and just being on set in this different capacity when it's not this long term you know weeks and weeks you just like I just shot this in two days and um, so yeah when I got asked about this it initially because the prompt was sort of you know, why, why do you live in Seattle? Like, what is it about the city that makes you love it and want to live there? And uh, initially, I started thinking in sort of documentary terms. And then I was like, what am I doing? I'm not a documentarian. I'm a narrative <laughs> filmmaker. So um, I, it, it, then it came back to um, it just answering that question with a, with a story that features other characters that I could create. And um, for me, it's like I travel a lot. I'm, you know, I'm in LA a lot. And I, I sort of, every time I come, I, the, the plane lands back in Seattle, I just have this like, so it's sort of like a release moment, and um, and that was the first thing I thought of when I thought like, why do you live there? Because it's just like that level of calm and comfort and groundedness and lack of pretension and all these things that make me love it. Like I just wanted to find something that sort of told that story. So um, it just kind of placed that into the world where you know this ferry worker and goes out on the, the water, kind of. Being in that environment sort of represents that, uh, you know, and then uh, the daughter is sort of representative of all the chaos of the world and like the nonstop chatter and like the news and the music and all the stuff that's like you're constantly feeding yourself uh, and just like reminding us to just like let that be silent for a minute and just like enjoy the, what you're living in, you know. So that was where I came from on it. 
I, I noticed after, as soon as your short ended, JJ leaned over and said to you, wow, you actually made the fairies look really pretty. <laughs> Are they not? They are, are they not always that beautiful? I think so. I mean, I, I love. I. I when, anytime somebody visits me, that's the first thing I'll take them to do is just get on the water, do a little ferry ride. It's a cheap thing to do with a, with your, you know, with your Seattle friends and like, or with your non-Seattle friends too, that can sort of expose them to a part of the world that it's like that ferry system is. It's like really amazing, actually. Like shooting on it, I was really grateful for how clockwork it is. Like it, <laughs> we were just like riding back and forth to Bainbridge Island on that ferry like all day one day, and it was just the best day. I was. It's luckily we had a beautiful day to do it too. Uh, the day before when we were shooting all the stuff where she was driving him in was so foggy. Like I was supposed to shoot this. Uh, vista that is sort of an underutilized vista from Beacon Hill and um, we got there to shoot it and it was just this white sheet it was like nothing it's like Seattle had been erased from the earth and so we were just we had to improvise and uh, we just asked the cops who were with us to help us if we could just go shoot in Pioneer Square and they were very cool with it thankfully so because uh, there's way more buildings and you could kind of get uh, you could see something um, and there was fog a friend of mine was at the top of the space scene all that day and she posted a picture on Facebook um, that was just like this blanket of fog and then just gorgeousness above it. I was like, I guess we just had to have a drone and some like <laughs> <laughs> levitation devices. But yeah, so, but it was great. I think the ferry's gorgeous, so uh, like I enjoy it every, every time I'm on it. I will definitely ride it the next time I'm you in do, Seattle, you should. for sure. Um, a similar question to what I asked before, are there, uh, you know, are there other Seattle films that you've seen that you feel have really captured something um, that you love about Seattle? Well, I mean, I love Lynn's Shelton stuff. Um, I think she, I mean, she's lived there most of her life and, and totally understands the city and she shows lots of different sides of it in her different movies and uh, any, any, anybody who's from there can watch them and just be like, yep, she got Bellevue and yep, she got whatever, you know, like little areas. And, you know, Singles was huge for me. Like, mm -hmm. I went and saw it like opening weekend and was really excited about it back in the day. So like, you know, that movie still feels like it represented Seattle at that time mm -hmm. um, to me. So, and I'm sure there's a lot. American Heart, I love that Jeff Bridges movie. Mm -hmm. That's a great, like, like Seattle does not exist anymore in the way it existed in that movie. So it's kind of fun to go back and watch that one. In terms of, uh, you've you know been active in the indie film scene um, in Seattle for a while now, and in terms of how things have changed, what what are your feelings about how the last ten or fifteen years in Seattle cinema and where it's going? Um, I mean, we I think you know we have a pretty great, vibrant community. It's I, I think it's uh, you know people are really committed to being there and staying there. It's 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 a hard city to leave. You know, it's it's, it's such a you know, it feeds you so much creatively, or for me it does, and I know Lynn feels that way too, and um, it's, I think it's, you know, the challenge is, you know, continuing a career and staying there, you know, it, it does kind of force you to travel a lot. It's not like you can just, like, never leave Seattle and, and make a living as a filmmaker. Um, but uh, for me, it's a great home base, and I feel like, there's there's a lot of people who are sort of coming up. I love watching people rise up in the Seattle community that you just see, you know, that new talent mm -hmm. coming along. Um, so there's a lot of exciting people, I think, that are there now and new projects sort of on the way that, uh, that it's, it's, you know, it's continuously percolating. Mm -hmm. 
And you just bought a house in Seattle, correct, right? Yeah, technically I bought a house in Burien, but yes, it's just, <laughs> just out. I can't afford to buy a house in Seattle on an independent filmmaker's salary. But um, yeah, I bought a house in Burien, uh, and I love it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm you know, put a ring on it and staying up there. <laughs> and what are, we, what are you working on next? What, is, what are your next projects? Uh, I just shot a film last year called Sadie um, that uh, features uh, the gentleman that was in my short, T. Denard, and uh, Melanie Linsky, and uh, Tony Hale and John Gallagher Jr., who's in uh, The Miseducation of Cameron Post. You guys should all go see him in. He's brilliant in it. Uh, and uh, Danielle Brooks from Orange is the New Black. So this beautiful cast of like truly wonderful human beings. And uh, it's shot in Everett, Washington, mostly. Yeah. That should be on the festival circuit somewhere in the future I can't talk about yet. Fantastic. <laughs> Well, I think we're just about out of time, but congratulations, all of you, on, on your work. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Visit Seattle, and of course, Sundance TV for hosting. Have a wonderful rest of your stay, day, everyone. Subscribe for more panels from the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival.